Hello, welcome to a special edition of the Get French Football News show. Today, May 28th, the Premier League, Serie A and La Liga announced plans for restarting football during the month of June, just as the Bundesliga has done. Our dearest Ligue 1, however, took a different path when, on the 28th of April, the French government banned sporting events until the end of August. That decision prompted French football's governing instances to declare the season ended, granting PSG their ninth league title. Today, we're going to discuss how Ligue 1 came to be the exception in Europe, and we'll have a look at some of the behind-the-scenes action and the different positions taken by the various actors and, and stakeholders of French football. I am your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. I'm very lucky to have a great team here with me today. We have Christian Nuri, the editor-in-chief of GFFN. Christian, great talking to you again. Uh, always a pleasure, Pierre-Paul. I must admit, I feel a little bit empty. Uh during this whole process, but still, still good to hear your dulcet tones again. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, it's great to have you on. I, I wanted to ask you, how has Jeff Van's coverage adapted in, in the past couple of months? And you know, what are the new areas of focus? Good question, Pierre Paul. It's one I ask myself every day. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, listen, obviously we, we've, we've, like everybody else, somewhat pivoted towards the longer form of stuff um, and there's been some great pieces uh, by people just like yourself Pierre Paul uh, and and also your other panelists today so so yeah and, and there, there'll be a couple of cool things as well going on in the kind of wider get football group in, 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 the, in the weeks to come so still still working hard and trying to make the best of it which I think is the only thing you really can do yeah no there was a lot of great stuff I saw I really enjoyed the um uh, the historical pieces and some of the great French teams. Uh, that Those were some good ones. Uh, with us as well, we have Kale Stockwell. Hi, Kale. Hi, Pierre. Paul, thanks for having me on. Great to have you on. So you wrote a major piece that came out on, on GFFN today called The French Football Farce. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on, on what's farcical? Sure. I mean, uh, I think... To start, your intro sort of encapsulated a little bit about what's becoming seemingly progressively more farcical as the days seem to go on, which is that the rest of Europe continues to come back or to look to come back to the season. France, it seems, uh, canceled theirs a little bit too early. So they're looking at being the only one of the big five leagues that will not be playing football in June and will not be finishing the 2019-20 season. Yeah. Should we start by talking about uh, where France stands exactly on this issue? Because there was some uh, further breaking news today. So why don't you guys give us a little update on, on what the latest is here? Sure, Pierre Paul. I mean, essentially today, uh, French Prime Minister Edouard Philippe rolled out what is the second major stage of in what we're calling in France the déconfinement, which I guess is like loosely translates into English as a sort of de-escalation of quarantine. And he announced a whole host of measures that will see a number of sort of public places and uh, restaurants, bars, etc., open up again for business from the 2nd of June. Uh, he's also authorized all professional sports people to be back in training again um uh, from the 2nd of june although following a very strict health protocol so uh, that's happened um he also announced that he's deferring judgment until the 21st of june on the issue of whether or not fans may return to watch 
sporting events in stadia uh this might have come as a bit of a surprise to people as a piece of legislation or a rule as part of this latest uh, bill um, but the reason being is horse racing has been back in france since the beginning of this month and there has been a considerable push uh, from the horse riding federations, uh, horse racing federations rather, uh, to ensure that uh, they can start to funnel in spectators again. Umbin Yong is a, the Ren striker. It was an interesting story about him earlier this week. He was actually fined 1,500 euros for sneaking into a hippodrome in Marseille so that he could watch his horse Sweaty Beauty. Uh, race against uh, some other horses, despite the fact that the event was due to be held behind closed doors. So um, that was, uh, you know, that announcement plus the idea that all professional sports people can now return to training um, on the uh, 2nd of June, which is obviously next week. It really, I think, has confused everybody as to what that means for French football and for the end of the 2019-20 seasons and perhaps even more I guess alarmingly uh, Edouard Philippe says uh, in a press conference this afternoon answering a question about where does this leave the French football calendar he says I don't want to comment or get involved in decisions made by league federations and national sporting federations I mean, for those of us who have been following this, this is hilarious because the last four and a half, five weeks, the anyone in the world of French football has sort of blamed the government as to say, we didn't have a choice about terminating this season's campaign early because the government insisted that we do so. And we'll reveal, I think, today that there was an enormous amount of questionable decision-making at every turn from a number of major actors but I think that actually we're at a point now, as you say, exactly four weeks later, where everybody is trying to hide and shirk responsibility for making this decision. Because, frankly, if you look at all of the other European leagues, as you said, Pierre-Paul, they are going to complete their campaigns and France is going to be the only major footballing nation that does not. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a couple of uh follow-up or clarifications on, on that news from today. And then we'll obviously dive into yeah. some of the deeper reasons um, in terms of the pressure on the government and, and other factors you talked about. Did they establish a distinction when saying that professional athletes could return to training between contact training and non-contact training, which is you know something that was uh, a distinction that was made in the UK, for example, with the Premier League? It's a good question. At the moment, in the initial brief, we've yet to pour over the publication that the, that the French government will release. Usually they release it the day after, like the morning after okay. what uh, sort of Edouard Philippe's uh, big press conference, that's what they've done during this period of quarantine. But he, may, he seemed to make it sound like that he will defer judgment as to what that training looks like again to uh, both federations and then also private uh, institutions, i.e. in the case of football, football clubs. And what's kind of funny about this decision is that Rennes and Strasbourg have been training not as normal, but in small groups already over the course of the last two to three weeks. So uh, either they've actually been operating outside of the realms of the law, 
per this this announcement today, which I highly doubt. I know in Ren in particular, they've got a very judicious legal team. Uh, or, you know, somehow this is goes one step further and basically all sorts of training is allowed again. And um, with regards to the crowds returning to sporting events, was there any time frame given? Because that sounds like something which would not be planned until at least September. Well, that's what's so surprising about today's announcement. Now, he did basically leave us on a cliff edge, if you like, this afternoon, Pierre Paul, because he basically mm -hmm. said, this isn't something that's going to come back until earliest, the 21st of June. And so the implication from my interpretation of it, and I think, you know, uh, Edouard Philippe has shown over the last few weeks that often you need a quite forensic analysis of what he says to really understand <laughs> at certain points exactly what's going on. But to me, the way he put it in this afternoon's press conference, in any case, was suggesting that ultimately they will review this particular item again on the 21st of June and then make another judgment. But to even bring that up, when the most recent piece of information coming from the government, which was three weeks ago, said actually there's no way that we can see fans or groups of people congregating at sporting or cultural events until earlier September, to me is very, very interesting. And actually also seems to follow a broader narrative that you are starting to see across Europe. Uh, Russian football announced today that 10% of uh, stadia, well, so sorry, not 10% of stadia, but um, the stadia for footballing matches can be filled up to 10% of their capacity by fans who will presumably be attending in a socially distance, distanced formation. So, yeah, but I, I thought, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, even a mention seems significant and it felt significant today. Yeah, absolutely. And it does sound coherent with the way they've worked, they've been working to say that it's uh, going to be a diffused decision and, you know, they'll have to see as time goes by what the options are, even though it was, I guess, surprising for, for them to bring that up today. Uh, just one more question on, on the present circumstance. Just to be totally clear, yeah. uh, is, it, is there any chance whatsoever that the decision to end the Ligue 1 season gets reversed and that it goes on? Yes. Wow. But only through one route now. There is one route left, and that is through the uh, Cour d'État, which is essentially the national court. Mm -hmm. So right now you have four lawsuits from three Ligue 1 clubs pending at the, at the Cour d'État at the moment. Two from Lyon, one from Toulouse, one from Amiens. Um, Amiens and Toulouse's cases rest on the notion of 22 teams in Ligue 1 next season. Lyon's case rests on the idea of getting action back. Uh, and then they have a second uh, lawsuit pending with the Cour d'État, which is about the legality behind the way in which this season was classified. Obviously, loyal listeners will know that Lyon were classified in this truncated 2019-20 Ligue 1 table as having finished in seventh, which means that unless they win their Coupe de la Ligue final, which will take place at the beginning of August, then they will not 
have any European football uh, for the foreseeable future in terms of the next season, at least. And that would be a first for Lyon in the 21st century. Unless they win, uh, lest we forget, the Sorry. Champions League, which yes, they are still... Right, <laughs> Unless they win the Champions League, which... Uh, which in the I mean, very who likely... Knows? Who knows? I thought it was a fantastic performance that they put together in, uh, in, uh, in that first leg, that round of 16 match. It feels like literally months ago because it was, but... Um, you know, yeah, of course, of course. If they win the Champions League, they can still they can still be in the Champions League next season. So thanks for that uh, brilliant information. Uh, completely on top of things, like always. Uh, let's take it back a little bit, Kale. Um, let's go back to that decision on the twenty eighth of April, uh, which also came from a, a, a speech by the Prime Minister Edouard Philippe. Uh, at that point, he had said that uh, sporting events would be. Uh, banned until the uh, end of August, and that the season, the Ligue 1 season, would not be able to recommence, uh, which prompted uh, the league and and FFF to uh, finally agree on the fact that the season was over and how the ranking would be established and so on. Kale, what went into the uh, thinking for that decision? Who? was involved in, in, in the decision of stopping sporting events at that moment? I think technically at the moment, what we know is that the LFP met and decided as a group to call time on the season and to allocate, eventually allocate European places, promotion, relegation, and so on. I think the deeper question, question about what actually spurred the stoppage on the 28th rather than potentially waiting it out and seeing what happened is probably the bigger and more difficult question to ask and not one that I would say as of right now we have a completely clear answer on and I think that's part of the frustration or the confusion that is circling around French football right now. We know the government made their decision to to call off sporting events until September. Uh, we know that this seems to have so far suited the FFF fairly well. They're going to get their final and they're going to get some national team games. And so the money that they need or that they've agreed to for those games is going to come through. As for the LFP and who was pushing for that decision at that point in time, uh, <clears throat> I I couldn't tell you at the moment how that possibly made sense. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's hard for me to even explain what the rationale was at that moment in time. I think as as we've gone on, sorry, go ahead. I'll let you interject. No, no, I just I just wanted to add a couple of I think really important things. So we should be clear to listeners that on the twenty eighth of April, the government announced themselves through Edouard Philippe in the National Assembly the following line, which was, we cannot have any sporting activity with fans until earlier September. Therefore, the 2019-20 Ligue 1 campaign cannot restart. Now, this came quite rapidly and surprisingly a couple of days before. The week before this was announced, 
there had been several calls, both for the UEFA Executive Committee and the uh, ECA, which is essentially the union for the top European clubs. And in the UEFA General Assembly and Executive Committee video calls, these are mammoth video conference calls, literally you know, up to a thousand people on them, the French football world was represented by a couple of key actors. So uh, Jean-Michel Aulas was one, the Lyon president, but then also members from the FFF, uh, including their director general and also the FFF president, Noah Legrain, as well as, uh, crucially, no actual government officials were ever on this, these, these executive committee calls. Now, the accusation that Lyon President Jean-Michel Aulas makes is, on that call the week before, on one of those calls the week before, I should say, UEFA President Alexander Seferin indicated that he would ideally like to see all National League action across Europe for 2019-20 completed by the 3rd of August. This date was taken by, in Jean-Michel Aulas's view, the director general of the FFF, called Florence Ardouin. Aulas believes that Ardouin was responsible for communicating the 3rd of August date, which Seferin had indicated on that call was provisional, to the Minister for Sports, the French government's Minister for Sports, Roxana Marie Sananou, um, that actually this 3rd of August date was compulsory and that all league national action had to be completed by then. This makes sense to me because the French Minister for Sports, when she did her first press round following that 28th of April announcement, notably went on RTL that night and said, we had to do this because UEFA said all league seasons had to be completed by the 3rd of August. And so that, in my view, is what led Edouard Philippe to utter those now infamous eight or nine words saying the league season just simply could not begin again. And unfortunately, this COVID-19 situation has put an enormous amount of people in positions of leadership in unprecedented situations that have been very, very complicated and difficult to navigate. But all of a sudden, there is a very strong momentum coming out of that day, which I believe was a, yeah, it, it was a Tuesday. And within a 48-hour period, all the pressure was on the LFP to come up with a response. Now, I don't want to speak for Kale, but what I think his piece brilliantly does is explains actually that, okay, so there was this situation where the government said, oh, there's just no way that this season could happen again. But there was no real legal standing, nor legal obligation onto the Federation to cancel their season. There was no government order, even in the coronavirus legislation that was written up um, uh, to accompany the decision making on the 28th of April. There was no mention of all league action, uh, you know, in terms of a season must be completed. It was simply saying you know, it's banned from having sporting events with fans until at least September, and all sporting events are banned until at least August. 
in this decision-making process, what appears to be clear is that the two main actors, as he, as he, as he said, were the FFF and then sort of by default Olas because he was on that phone call. And I think what you, what you see play out as he was expressing was the FFF having enough of the ear of the government to get this idea in their head of this sort of August drop dead date. And then the LFP not having enough centralized leadership or even so far as, and Christian might have more insight on this, uh, anyone in the room to put forth any sort of competing idea. And you end up with this announcement on the 28th that I think is kind of a byproduct of, of that dynamic. But so what I thought I had understood at the time is that the FFF and the LFP were both caught by surprise by that announcement, but that various actors, I mean, I, I, what I read later on was that various club presidents had tried to lobby the government yeah. one way or the other, uh, and presumably according to uh, everybody's uh, respective sporting situation, because that seems to be the driving motivation for, for a lot of the clubs at the moment. The relationship between Nolevre and the French government is well documented in terms of its closeness. And I think that if you were to look and, at... And can I, say, can I just say his uh, tendency to sometimes bypass the sports ministry to reach right up into the higher uh, ranks of the government? You said that. I did. Uh, <laughs> the two individuals that I think you need to look at are no longer in terms of precipitating this decision very quickly off the back of those big UEFA General Assembly calls the week before. And then also the head of one of the two Ligue 1 clubs unions. It's called the Premier League. And the head of the Premier League at the moment, he's serving his term, is Saint-Étienne co-president Bernard Cayazot. Now, Kale mentions very well and astutely in his piece that of all the clubs that could have wanted the 29-20 campaign to end on game week 28 out of 38, Saint-Étienne would have been out there, maybe alongside Rennes, who qualified for the Champions League by one point, as some of the most desperate to see that happen. Um, I don't know if, uh, Kelly, you want to pick up maybe a little bit on, on Saint-Étienne's sporting situation and and also the DNCG report that came out in March 2020 on the 18-19 finances. Yeah, I think, I think that it's Saint Etienne's role in this and Cayazo's role is 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 key, and I think it offers this foil to what Olas is bringing forward that I think is is probably not being highlighted well enough at the moment, and that's this notion that. Saint-Étienne were in heading into this season and doing as badly as they were. You know, they were close to the relegation playoff place. Uh, I think three points up on that relegation playoff place. They're looking at a very unstable financial situation. I think you could potentially argue already, even if they were to stay in the league and they were to finish that low and they were to take the TV money that would correspond to finishing that low in the league i think they'd be on iffy footing if they were to go down to the 2 
they would be in serious financial jeopardy. And, and sort of what's, what's at the heart of that is they are going to lose all the broadcast revenue that they would have then received, which is substantial. And once you drop from this, is, sorry, there's so many, met, so many layers, but dropping from Ligue 1 to Ligue 2 means a precipitous drop in broadcast revenue. So ASSC are looking at this season ending and they are not playing well. And there's this opportunity or this chance that they could go down. If they go down, they will lose tens of million dollars in broadcast revenue. They have a squad that is going to be very difficult to sell. It's not like a legal situation or someone else where they have all these young players that are going to be value for money when they turn them out and they're on low or expiring contracts. They have big contracts for players that are older, that are difficult to offload. It's not unlike what we're looking at happening in Marseille right now. On top of that, they, it came out documents released by, through Mediapar earlier in the, earlier in the week or last week, I think that they are one of the four clubs that is, cash they're cash poor so they are in the negative and there are there's Lille, Marseille, Bordeaux and ASSE so all of this gets more and more complicated for them if they see themselves go down and I think Kayazo's motivation for wanting the season to end on the 28th is just as strong as Olas's motivation for not wanting it to finish in the 28th week. And I think that's a critical point and in this story and in this narrative that's being drawn up about how the season came to an end and, and who the main actors in this whole thing are. And I think you can't look past that Sinatian motivation. So it's interesting because we have a, a, a Roan Derby of, of sorts playing out there. But yeah. do you think... Kayazo has been able to, uh, I mean, leverage some sort of support from other clubs or is everyone just really focused on their own situation and aligning with, you know, whatever option would suit their club best? I think, sorry, Christian, you jump on top of me here if you want, but uh, I think Christian raised this earlier and it, and it, it sort of bleeds into that question, which is, Kayazo is the head of the Premier League, this one of the two factions of clubs. I think the fact that the LFP didn't have any kind of strong leadership at the top meant that the clubs could start engaging in all this sovereign thinking. And I think what Kayazo was able to do was play that off not necessarily i'm not putting it all on him but he you can recognize that the clubs can play off each other in getting what they what they want and, and the 28 the 28 uh week league might not be perfect but to a lot of them they can look at it and say we have this new big broadcast deal coming with media pro next year I don't want to be in a position where I'm going to miss that. So if I'm mid to low table, I'm saying there's a risk that in these, these next weeks, I could drop down into a relegation spot. And that means I miss a 60% increase in my broadcast revenue. 
Similarly, I think you can look at clubs like uh, Rennes and Marseille, and you can say, we're in the Champions League spot right now. It's not perfect that this is a 28-game league, but next year we're looking at pretty impressive Champions League revenues. And on top of that, we're looking at this bump up in broadcasting. I think it's, it's clear enough that there were enough teams that looked around and said, this isn't the worst deal for me. Well, the worst deal would be is missing out on next year's money. And I think what you see with Olas and OL and then Amiens and Toulouse, the clubs that are actually bringing actions, is they are the ones that are directly hurt by this decision. And we can get into that a little bit later because it's a little bit complicated. So I would add to something that Kel's been saying there, because he's brought it up a couple of times about just how important it is to make sure that you don't get relegated to Ligue 2 in this season, uh, even more so than in a usual season. This TV rights deal that Ligue 1 and Ligue 2 are heading into for the period between 2020 to 2024 is a 60% or so increase on the existing deal. The existing deal was around uh, 600 to 700 million euros a year, and this is going to take it well into and very close to the 1.5 billion euros a year mark. It's just such an unbelievably significant increase. However, the thing is that proportionately, the amount of money that Ligue 2 teams will be seeing, an increase, is roughly only 25 million euros a year to their existing package, which sits around the 100 million euro mark a year. So you've got, at the moment in the present TV rights deal, Ligue 2 clubs share a pot of around 100 million euros. And this is going to go up to 125 million euros this coming season. Now that is, if the LFP can sign off on this, it was voted for last week in principle, but the details have still yet to be worked out. The point though about this, and I'm getting there guys, I promise you guys at home, we're getting there, is that to drop down to Ligue 2, you just don't see the same increase in your revenue as you would if you're staying in Ligue 1 from the Media Pro arrangement because the TV rights money is being disproportionately and majorly disproportionately skewed, the increase, to the Ligue 1 clubs to the tune of around 80 to 85% of the new TV rights deal, as in the increased money on top of the 700 million getting to the 1.5 billion is going uh, to Ligue 1 clubs. Okay, why don't you... Talk to us about the role that Jean-Michel Olas has had in you know, the past month or two. Always, as we know, a very vocal presence. Uh, somehow increasingly so at this time, it, it appears. Uh, what has his role been? I think when looking at Olas right now, what pops into my mind is this idea of the boy who cried wolf, which is we hear from Olas so much about basically everything. That, at some, that people just start to drown him out. And I think his bombastic nature, when we first entered the crisis and there was a suspension of play, and the whole back and forth with Eho and all that nonsense, has sort of clouded some of his more lucid commentary 
surrounding the league's decision to cancel the season. And right now, when he needs that credibility the most, and when the points that he's making are salient, he's not getting enough traction. And he is sort of this one dissenting voice saying, this is not the smartest idea. We need to be focused on getting back to playing. We still have an opportunity to get back to playing. Of course, what's bubbling in the background is how much Lyon stand to lose if the league doesn't start again. And for Lyon, as we cover in the piece, it's, it, can be, it could be quite significant. It's, it's not just a matter of not getting into the Europe, Europe for the first time in ages. It's the financial implications of not getting in, which is that they're going to lose a very, very substantial chunk of revenue that they've more or less, I would say, come to rely on in terms of getting into the Champions League or even the Europa League. It's going to deliver to them 20 to 40 million extra dollars a year that they're no longer going to have. What that will mean for them in terms of their wages and in terms of the way that they approach the transfer market, it could mean a could mean completely changing what they had hoped to achieve through the summer. I think this is impacting the message that Olas has and, and, is, and it's clouding what, are, what is appropriate commentary. I think if I were to distill Olas's main point, it is that the league is missing out on a fundamental opportunity here to take a step forward. We have this big broadcast deal coming. We, are, we still have two clubs in the Champions League. We have this opportunity to go into the summer on level footing with our European peers and then come out of the summer into the following season with all this inflated revenue. But instead what we're doing is we're calling time on a season, in his opinion, prematurely, we're going to all across the board in French football take very significant losses, losses that sure many teams will be able to cover over with the loan and with the inflated broadcast deal next season. But again, they're going to be papering over those losses with the additional revenue that they might otherwise have used to keep players or to sign new players. And he's being drowned out by clubs that are more interested in remaining in the league and just getting that money next year that are thinking very short term. And it's kind of an unfortunate position that Olas finds himself, some of which is of his own making, I should stipulate. Yeah, I think sometimes you have to remove some of the noise he makes himself in order to get down to the heart of his argument, um, which is fundamentally not you know, not all, not necessarily a bad idea because, I mean, as we know, he's one of the more successful leaders in, in French football of the past couple of decades. Um, but, yeah. I think I'd add to that as well, that a lot of people wonder why Jean-Michel Olas did what he did in the first sort of two weeks after football stopped and quarantine came in. And it felt like, Every single day, he was in another newspaper coming up with another solution about <laughs> how to deal with a league that 
you know, what if it stops? What if it stops? And obviously the main thing that people were approaching for is that initially he said, oh, well, frankly, if the league cannot be completed, then we'll just have to cancel this one and start next season based on the final placing in 18-19. And obviously that had Lyon in the Champions League. And that understandably outraged an enormous amount of people. And it was a rare mistake in an individual who usually, whether through sheer intellect or aggressively rubbing people out the wrong way, gets what he wants and gets the best he possibly can for his club Lyon. But to contextualize this sort of panicked excitement is probably what I'd call it in those two weeks. All of a sudden, Lyon saw an opportunity to negate or cover up a series of high-profile mistakes over the last of the nine months before March 2020 that they'd made principally on the on the board level and on the coaching level. Olas chose to bring in Juninho as sporting director, despite Juninho having no experience in that in such a position in any country. And it's a separate podcast, perhaps, but I think we can all agree that has shown. He brought in Silvino, thinking that this was going to be some some form of reinvention of how football in France is looked at, with a sporting director and coach who are best friends, coming from a completely different culture and bringing in a style of play. Except he forgot that Silvino had never held a managerial role in his life, and then he panicked again to bring in Rudy Garcia. So all of a sudden, it was like, oh my gosh. You could just like wipe all this away and start again <laughs> from where we left off when Genesia left, which was actually we're in the Champions League next season. And I'm sure that he massively regrets having done that. And I'm sure that he is very cognizant of the fact that this was that was a serious sort of public mistake. And he doesn't really often make them, but it shows that this is a truly unprecedented time for everyone. And actually, he had unprecedentedly made a series of very poor, in my view, judgment calls that resulted in Lyon being in a position when quarantine came in that they were in March. The one thing I'll say, though, is that whether you like Olas or you don't, he is still the only individual today, maybe aside from Amiens President Bernard Joannin, who is actively out there trying to be proactive, trying to come up with solutions to make this situation a little less bad. And I don't even mean just on the issue of can we get this season back. But at every turn, Olas is seeking to lead both for Lyon and for other clubs to make the best of the situation that clubs find themselves in. Today, you confirmed in an interview with Le Parisien that he's putting on a pre-season tournament at the very, very beginning of July, which will include at least three other league game clubs. Uh, Lille, and I can't remember who the other two are off the top of my head. And that's a, that's a Jean, Jean-Michel Olas initiative, something that he's driven forward to try and make the best of the situation. And the best leaders, in my view, particularly in sport, whether it's as a, in the dressing room, as a president, are the individuals who stand up and are counted in moments of crisis. In moments where your average player, your average board member, your average club president is so overwhelmed by the pressure of 
you know, this player not playing well, this, this team being in a, a negative spiral in terms of frame of mind, this hole in the finances that could be going wrong in the next three to four months, so overwhelmed by those factors that they don't frankly have the ability to sit there, try and keep a cool head and go, okay, so what can we do? And I think part of the reason why Jean-Michel Aulas is so hated by many presidents is that it is born out of jealousy of the financial stability that Lyon have and have created for themselves, despite the QSI domination of Ligue 1 over the last 10 years. And also that they don't have his talent to play the media like a you know, fiddle that he's achieved so successfully in the last 10 years, nor do they have the ingenuity to actually lead French football. And again, I think it's a separate podcast about the state of play of who, who's in charge of French football at the moment. But you know, with Noël Legray, who is late 70s, you've got the head of the UNFP, who we haven't even talked about, but the absolute nightmare in terms of trying to get players to agree salary cuts during this COVID-19 situation, all claiming to unanimously sign onto the UNFP's unilateral agreement to take a 30% cut. But then two weeks later, over half the teams in Ligue 1 have had players who have said, no, I'm not doing that. And clubs have had to negotiate on a, on a case-by-case basis with them. Philippe Kastendeutsch, head of the UNFP, also nearly 80. You have individuals who have had a career of being in a nice position and just plodding along. And I think where French football has been able to be in the last 10 years, because of QSI investment, because of the rise of Kylian Mbappe, because of Neymar, because of actually brokering, which if on paper, and it all checks out, a fantastic deal for the 2020-2024 TV rights, because of these really potentially exciting things to take probably the greatest reservoir, reservoir footballing talent in terms of a country into a place where it can be domestically challenging uh, as one of the top leagues in Europe, we can't also continue to be led by individuals from a different era, from a different mindset, and from French football being very much considered as a second-tier division in the world of football. Because ultimately, we are going to settle for mediocrity. And I think that overall view, worldview of French football, if you like, is perfectly encapsulated by what's happened in the last eight weeks. This should have been a break-the-glass-ceiling moment for French football. A deal in terms of Ligue 1 that's going to see clubs earn more than a billion euros a year, for God's sake. And instead, we fumbled the ball here. And as Kale so eloquently put moments ago, we've signed on to basically somewhat negate this deal, at least in the next 12 to 24 months, by taking on these loans. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, and I, I urge people to think about it this way. Olas can be a character that can be a bit abrasive. And so there is this desire to want to write off what he's saying and say, well, you know what? He's only saying this because OL have finished in seventh and he's not thinking about the broader picture. I would ask people to be equally as analytical about why certain teams do want the season to end in the 28th week, why it might be fortuitous for a club like Rennes, who are one point up on Lille for the Champions League spot, to have the league end now 
rather than play out the final 10 games, or why this makes a lot of sense for Marseille, or why this is good for clubs like Nîmes. It's, or even Montpellier for that matter. It's, it's not, I think, as cut and dry as oh, Olas is wrong because he is only looking after Lyon's interests and the rest of them are right because they're thinking about the broader structure of the league. I think, as Christian was saying, and, I, and this is so crucial, I think, to what is going on right now and what is going to happen in the future. We're seeing strong leadership from areas of French football. I'm not saying positive leadership, but strong leadership from areas of French football and very little unified leadership from the LFP. Part of that is because you have a really fractious situation at the club level and the president level, but also because there's, there's just not strong enough characters to corral all those people together. And the league really needed that at this point in time to go to the government or to go to the federation and say, let's just hit the pause button. Let's just wait a little bit and see how this turns out. Or to say, we're not going to cancel our season. We're going to try and play it in August. None of these decisions needed to happen on the 30th of, of April. But because I think you didn't have enough strong leadership from that section of French football, you're watching this dynamic play out now in late May. And it's, it's sad, frankly, to watch. Uh, three clubs from Ligue 1, Lyon, Amiens, and Toulouse have, uh, you know, what what is the right phrase to use? Brought a lawsuit or um, yeah, taken it to court, basically, yeah, uh, against uh, the LFP to try to start the season again. Uh, it's heading to, to the Conseil d'État, which is the highest court in, in France. Um, what is the status on those proceedings and how exactly can, can that lead to a reversing of the situation? I think it should be said before attempting an answer to this question that sure. we are in completely uncharted waters. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, not since over half a century have we been in a position where a French league season has even been interrupted, let alone not fully completed. Toulouse, when we're recording... This is the 28th of May, Thursday, were the actually only just formally made their filing to the uh, Cour d'État. Uh, but Amiens and Lyon had already made their filing at the beginning of this week. Lyon will have their case heard first on June the 4th. They had been hoping that they would get their case heard already this week. There is a feeling around Lyon at the moment and has been this way since earlier this week when an amendment was brought to the French Senate, the French government that would pave the way codified in national law to allow for league seasons to be completed. That amendment was introduced by four senators from uh, around the region which Lyon is located. It's an amendment that actually received over 60 signatures, but ultimately was voted down. I believe it was voted down on Tuesday. And ever since that, um, the noises around Lyon are one of resignation that we're not going to get uh, you know, something done here. They'd been hoping, as I say, for their case to be heard this week because with each week that goes by, it becomes more and more complicated to be able to finish this campaign before UEFA, uh, Alexander Seferin, uh, the president at UEFA, 
indicated that realistically you could probably even have into September to finish the 2019-20 season is what he wrote in a letter to Jean-Michel Olas, which Olas received uh, towards the beginning of this month. But even then, like we are now sitting basically at the beginning of June. If the protocols taken by the other top five European leagues or anything to go by, you are going to need at least six weeks or so, if not more, for clubs to get back to pre-season. That then very quickly takes you to July. And with 10 matches left to play, in order to do that in any sort of you know, way that is going to enable the 2020-2021 season to begin on time, you would basically have to play at least two games a week, not to mention the two cup finals that you already mentioned, Pierre Paul, uh, the Coupe de la Ligue 2019-20 final and the Coupe de France 2019-20 final are still in, going to probably be played and are certainly going to be played at the beginning of August behind closed doors on the 8th and, the, and, and then potentially the, the weekend after. But you've got those fixtures to fit in, which involve Paris Saint-Germain, Lyon and Saint-Étienne. And then you'll also have the Champions League fixtures to fit in that involve Lyon and Paris Saint-Germain. And so, although UEFA President Alexander Seferin has said, I will ultimately give you as much time as you need right up until the next Champions League and Europa League begins. Every day is counting if you're Lyon and you want this decision overturned. Uh, those remaining fixtures can change the... Uh, the composition of which French teams are going to play in the European tournaments next season, um, considering that Lyon Saint Etienne might qualify if they beat PSG, uh, which would harm Reims or Nice. Well, there, there is the question, actually, Christian, of the playing the league with 22 teams, uh, because it was, uh, this was thought of for Ligue 2, especially, I think, that maybe they wouldn't relegate the clubs in a in a relegation position and save them from falling into uh, uh, a non-professional league. That was vetoed by the FFF. How does that question play into this whole mess? Yeah, I mean, it's another really sad, I think, part of this that mm -hmm. we maybe haven't really touched on yet, which is the human cost. You know, we sort of talked about these big numbers that are not particularly humanizing it's pretty hard for me or you or you know someone at home to envisage losing uh, 25 million euros from a from a tv rights deal but as you said the lfp last week voted in favor of a 22 team league for next season under the rationale that if you're relegated from league 1 to league 2 you still keep your professional status and you receive quite considerable parachute payments. A parachute payment, for those who are listening and might not know what that is, is basically a cushion, a financial cushion that a team receives in all of Europe's major uh, first division, should they be relegated from that league, to ensure that the adjustment in terms of TV rights revenue, ticket revenue, merchandise revenue, everything, is somewhat counterbalanced financially. But they felt that actually it wasn't fair to relegate Le Mans and uh, Orléans from Ligue 2 to Nationale, which is French football's third division. Now in France, you only have two professional leagues. The third division is already amateur. And basically what that means is, you know, from, from everything, from a wage structure to 
the idea that you know the vast majority of employees at a national side will will have two jobs going quite simply because of the financial remuneration that you can get from being a even a grounds person is just simply not enough in, in a national division to have come close to an average an average wage in France. So that was the idea. But in France, the LFP, which is the professional league body, i.e. in charge of all matters pertaining to Ligue 1 and Ligue 2, can be overruled by the FFF. The FFF is the French Football Federation. They're in charge of all other divisions. So from third division down and also all female football activity, as well as all the national teams and uh, the Coupe de France competition. So the FFF overruled this decision earlier this week. And that is going to cost tens of people, uh, probably actually close to 100 when you consider both of those clubs together. You're going to cost a lot of jobs when actually not on merit did this club go down but in a situation of sporting inequity these teams have missed out and unlike in Ligue 1 with Toulouse a team that was so far adrift that it just seemed impossible that they would get back not even Pascal Duprat would have got them back um, in Ligue 2 it was still all to play for certainly uh, for Orléans so yeah, that's that's another just incredibly unfair situation. It's like a double punishment. You get relegated, you also lose your professional football status. And yeah, the, the human cost, much like in, of course, industries across the world and, and, and across the economic landscape, jobs will be lost. And the FFF had very little intention of uh, really considering those individuals. Quite simply because Noah Legray's rationale was, I don't want to make an exception for this division when I have unilaterally decided that in all amateur divisions, the top two teams will go up and the bottom two teams will go down. So, yeah, I mean, and I think, to be honest, other than that just looks nice on a piece of paper, the idea that that would cost anyone anything to have a 22-team Ligue 2 when the Coupe de la Ligue, which is the French version of the sort of League Cup, I guess, in England, has been abandoned for the 2020-2021 campaign, even before COVID-19 hit. So the idea that actually, oh, there'd be too many fixtures for this season, or we couldn't fit it all in, or blah, 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 blah. It just none of those arguments would have held nor did hold them, which is why you had, you know, a quite considerable number of, of, of Ligue 1 clubs as well vote and say, you know what, fine, just have four teams relegated next season instead of two, potentially three, if you still have the relegation promotion mm-hmm. playoff between the third and second division. Yeah, I can't, sorry, I can't get my head around that decision from the FFF. I think it's just nonsense. Like you've, you've ended your year when no one else has ended their year, basically in the top five, so that seemingly you can get to the next year faster and have the whole year to play out the schedule. And then you've eliminated a cup competition and you are deciding that for some reason you can't have an extra two teams in the second division 
And on top of that, by relegating those two teams, I think you're just inviting more legal pressure. I I just don't understand why you would come to that conclusion. Doesn't make any sense to me. For me, those teams that are getting relegated only have one argument, and that is that had the season played out, maybe they would not have been relegated. But I think the problem of you know, them losing professional status and so on. That happens every year. And, you know, that should be a problem that that's looked at in a, I mean, it should be addressed somehow, but I don't think that, you know, just sparing them from relegation one time is going to, I mean, for me, the 22 club thing was just not the best solution. And I just have to think back of all these other clubs that have been relegated in the last decade or maybe even further that have, you know, actually fallen so many divisions um, because of the financial stress that caused them. And that that's an old problem that I don't think is especially exacerbated by the current um, economic crisis, just because of how bad it was back then already. Um, So I think there's just that one argument in, in favor of, yeah, but, but yeah, Paul, the difference between all of those seasons compared to this season is financial that it could consequences have played or not, those teams all got a chance to play every other team in their division twice. Exactly, yeah. So I certainly accept the point that you know it is always a bit of a financial catastrophe when teams get relegated from the downwards. But this is a, this is an incredibly unique situation in, in in the sense that it's simply not fair. But then I just don't get going all, to all the trouble of getting this season going, getting rid of a cup competition, and taking out a loan. You know all this crazy structuring that they've done to make sure that they can get to the twenty twenty one season, and then deciding. I think arbitrary teams down and they do it like it, you've done so many things that are beyond mm. normal at this point keeping two extra teams in at the bottom seems like the least of your problems to me i guess but but let's say they had done that at that point they would have had a different problem which is something that you kind of brought up christian in that all the teams from the lower divisions that had been relegated would be saying this is not fair why is you know should we be having a different treatment just because they're professional and we're not but but the the fortunes in play were very different there is no drop in the entire french football pyramid that is more harsh than from the second to the third because it's a professional to an amateur drop and also you know my view on the the fff has no or or has always from a code of conduct conduct perspective had no jurisdiction over professional football so if you go to the lengths of creating a two-tiered system which i think is one of the major talking points when we reflect on this whole madness of of what i think is going to be an eight-week period of madness if you designate a different body to look after the first and second divisions of football if they come to a decision then let them take that decision and don't use some loophole, which by the way, the loophole that they used was an executive committee loophole that basically said, if we think the LFP's decision-making on anything 
other than matters of discipline go against the notion of sporting fairness. <laughs> sporting fairness is literally the legal text. Then we have and reserve the right to overrule it. And so the FFF is certainly making your argument, Pierre Paul, but they, they have taken a really, really extraordinary step here to overrule the LFP, the likes of which I think we've only seen once in the last 10 years. And it related to a matter of actually another club that was facing a stadium issue, I believe it was Lozanek. And the FFF overruled the LFP and said, no, you know what, they don't have the requirements from a stadium perspective, they need to go. Which was really harsh, I remember that. <laughs> um, yeah. I do, I do take your points, and I do think, like you say, that the, the two-tiered system of LFP, FFF is really dysfunctional at, at the moment. And, um, you know, it's one of the many things that, that are going to need fixing sooner rather than later. But I don't know how that would look like. I mean, I don't, my head is, is spinning <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Immediately after the decision was taken that football was going to stop and the season was going to end, they, the clubs engaged in negotiations with uh, Canal Plus and, and BN Sports over how over what would be done with the TV payments for the rest of the season. Uh, can you tell us about what deal they arrived at? How was that problem solved? As of right now, the, I would say the problem isn't solved, but okay. uh, <laughs> uh, basically to give you a bit of a timeline, the first part of the timeline is that uh, these four club presidents go in and negotiate on behalf of the LFP with Canal Plus and BN Sport for a portion of what would have been, I believe, the April 17th tranche of payment uh, for the games that have already taken place. Uh, and then they successfully come to a negotiation. They get some of that money uh, for, again, the games that have happened. And Canal Plus holds back what would have been the final tranche of payment, which would be due to come sometime in June. The LFP then, in the coming days, after the government makes their announcement and the Federation makes its announcement, and then the LFP meets and decides that they're suspending play, that they're going to end the year on the 28th, on the 28th game. They make that announcement, and that same day, Canal Plus couriers over their termination of the remainder of their contract due to force majeure, and that leaves roughly $234 million on the table that the league will not receive from the broadcaster. Euros, but yes. Right, so the so the TV money situation is uh, an ongoing problem, I guess, depending on uh, you know whatever the outcome of the season is. Um, but I would, sorry, sorry to cut across you there, Paul. Yep. The reason that like no business should be happily signing off to accept a quarter billion euro payday that's now not going to come in the reason that is provided by basically every club president who wanted the league to end then and there is it's okay the lfp is going to negotiate a government-backed bank loan so that we are able to recoup 
close to all of that money. And that bank loan is, has already been validated, has been confirmed. It's a 215 million euro bank loan. So mm, they're missing out maybe 35 million euros from the overall TV revenue payments that they had been due if the season had been completed. Now, the attitude has somewhat astonished me on this because it's essentially to say, don't worry, like the money disappeared, but it's magically reappeared. The definition of a loan is that you have to pay it back. And so the terms of this loan, whilst favorable, you are still ultimately adding a liability onto the balance sheet, right? You, the LFP is the company that's going to be taking out that loan, which means the clubs themselves won't be liable. But obviously, the LFP intends to basically withhold future TV rights payments from each club in order to then pay that loan back, which they have four years to do. But this is signing up for, you know, still that 250 million euro loss of TV rights. It's not like we're magically bringing that money back. It's just delaying the negative hit or the negative financial implications of it. Why is the government backing the loan? So it's, it's part of a wider scheme, which I think we've seen in a lot of countries to okay. combat yeah. COVID-19. So it's basically been implemented to support any business going through difficult times. The interesting wrinkle about how this process of government-backed bank loans has worked, and, and the simple mechanism is this, Pierre Paul, that uh, banks are willing to make this loan to the LFP in this instance because the government guarantees that they will see at least 90% of that loan back to the bank. So the, the government is somewhat underwriting that uh, in terms of saying, don't worry, we guarantee that you will see at least 90% of this back. That's pre-interest, so 90% of 215 million euros. The interesting wrinkle about how this government-backed bank loan system has worked for French football since the pandemic began is before the 28th of April, two clubs had received their own government-backed uh, bank, bank loans. And uh, pretty much all 40 or close to all 40 clubs made their own individual request for a bank loan during the beginning of this pandemic from March, April, May. But very few as of 28th April had even had considerable return from the government in terms of communication. The first club right out the gate to earn it was Paris FC. And Paris FC's president, whose name is? Pierre Ferracci. Yeah. Paris FC's president, Pierre Ferracci, has a very good relationship and a long relationship with Emmanuel Macron. His and son so, was the witness at Macron's wedding. Ah, well, there we go. You're, you're better informed than me on, <laughs> on this particular relationship. But this is something that nobody's discussing at the moment either. And I'm not suggesting that anything by any means, uh, any, any hint of foul play here. But how is it that certain clubs were privileged more than others. It is fair to say that of all the clubs in Ligue 1 Ligue 2, Paris FC were in probably, in terms of purely from a 
margin perspective, one of the most precarious positions. They were already in dire financial straits at the beginning of the season. Ferracci doubled down in the January window when the club was in the relegation zone and basically went hell for leather, brought in Jeremy Menez on a free transfer on a kind of ridiculous wage for someone in Ligue 2, brought in very experienced manager René Girard, obviously won Ligue 1 in the beginning of last decade with Montpellier, also on wages that you have not really seen before in Ligue 2. And that club was going to be utterly annihilated had it been relegated. Uh, Ferracci himself obviously has personal wealth that probably could have kept the club alive, but he would have basically seen his financial gamble go horribly wrong. Now, Paris FC obviously had just got their head above water by the time the 28th match day came around the Ligue 2 and they sat 17th. So, but even by sitting 17th and being sure that you'd be in Ligue 2 next season, that wouldn't have been enough, I don't think, for, for the club to survive financially without being able to see the entire season played. Just another interesting subplot to this, but go on, Cal. Yeah, I also think it's important to note, based on your sort of the beginning of the question, Pierre Paul, is the loan in and of itself from the government, you know, being part of a larger system, it's not a really a risky loan. Like the if let's if the TV money comes through, then there's the league should have access to more than enough revenue to pay this loan back over the period that they have. I think another sort of interesting aspect of it, though, building off what Christian said, is the loan doesn't cover the whole TV deal, and it certainly doesn't cover all the other losses that the teams are going to take through this period of time. And that's potentially a bigger question. I, I, that, that sounds risky to me, though, because we, we, we said that the TV deal is a risk, that we don't know if it's 100% reliable. And more broadly, I mean, I don't, the government can't you know back a loan to any company that needs help at the moment it has to choose um because you know it's not it can't you know promise an infinite amount of money if it comes to that but i i don't understand why it should be the government's priority to uh help football clubs which don't necessarily have a very good record on their own even though they have foraminous amounts of money to handle um when you know there might be many more urgent things to to be funding out there in 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 the public but i think that's a really good point and 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 not something that's been discussed much Mm -hmm. in this topic is why were we so desperate to make this decision to ultimately put the government into a position where it will have to you know, potentially, and, and it's unlikely that the government is ever going to have to, you know, pay this uh, or, or actually reach into its own pockets for it because it is a bank that is loaning this money to them, just uh, to, to the LFP, not the government itself. But why even put the government in that position of risk if there was even a 5% chance on the 28th of April that this season could be completed in conditions behind closed doors? And you know, we weren't asking, I mean, I don't think anyone was was saying that it was wrong to take everything that was going on very, very seriously. But patience 
which so often in the world of French football is at a premium, literally was so critical in this instance. And instead, we got the exact opposite. And I find it ironic that apart from its national team, French football in the last decade has not led the European football scene on anything. Absolutely nothing in terms of, you know, quality of, of Champions League performances, the quality of the football, how exciting the games are, as much as we love it, right? And there's an enormous amount of subplots, nuances, complexities, craziness that makes this, to me, still the most entertaining division, but probably not for your average fan. And yet this was the one situation where French football decided we are going to be the leader on this. We're going to take a bold stance and we're going to say health is more important than football no matter what. I think that sentiment is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But unfortunately, certainly on the evidence of the last four weeks, incredibly naive if we care at all about where French football is going. Yeah, and I think building on what Christian said, this is one of those examples where the decision was so rushed and it seemed as though I would guess that this government loan had something to do with the deals that were being cut in the background to try and make this thing work in a, what ended up being a very short period of time. And as we're seeing going forward, are too hasty and seemingly potentially unnecessary. I mean, personally, I, I think, you know, that the, it kind of, like you say, Christian, it, it was a brave decision of French public powers to do that ahead of anyone else. And we know, you know, that they've kind of failed to convince the other countries because apparently uh, the sports ministers tried to come with, to an agreement and so on. But, and I don't think it was the wrong decision for France to stop football and other major sports. Um, I'm just not impressed with a lot of the stuff that's happening around that decision um, and, the, and the various kind of interests at, at play. We did, I did have one question on the role Nasser had in mm. the TV negotiations. Uh, I don't know if we, if we want to talk about that, but obviously there was kind of a question around whether that was a conflict or interest or not. The fact that he was negotiating for the TV money. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think anyone who doesn't know anything about French football, if you're on the outside looking in and you see the same guy who heads up the Qatari-owned French football powerhouse in the league, the by far the strongest side in the division in every way, from the marketing, merchandise strategy with the tie-up with mm. Michael Jordan to having those world stars on the pitch, that the person who heads up that club also heads up the second most important broadcaster that is in charge of broadcasting Liga football. I mean, how that even happened in the first place, I think, is highly questionable. And the implication that a lot of French journalists sought to make at the time was, how is this man then also part of a four-man team, not appointed by anybody, I should add? <laughs> the LFP were basically cut out of these negotiations entirely. Didier Kiyo, the CEO, and Natalie de la 
the Natalie Boy de la Tour, rather, um, they were just basically cut out, and, and a four-man team was picked of presidents that included Olivier Sadran, the Toulouse president, um, I, be, I believe Jean-Pierre River as well, the Chinese president, to negotiate with the broadcasters themselves. And essentially, Nasser Khalifi, on paper, was negotiating against himself, right? By, by wanting to get as much TV rights money as possible for Paris Saint-Germain, whilst also not wanting to make a bad business decision for Bean Sport by Bean Sport giving away TV rights money when no football was being played. And so that was the question that was asked. But actually, I think that whole story and sub-narrative is really somewhat negated by the fact that if you look at it proportionally in terms of the amount of money that was due on that April 17th tranche, which is the one that these four presidents were negotiating for, Bean Spy actually paid a bigger proportion of the money that was due uh, for their uh, payment on the 17th of April than Kenneth Plus did. So you can't say that uh, the negotiations that happened with Bean Spore were uh, unduly unhelpful or unduly negative on Ligue 1 in the first place. That said, the fact that such a situation could even exist, I think definitely deserves questioning uh, in the first place. Yeah, that was very well put. Um, I hadn't realized about the proportion um, of, like you mentioned, the proportion that had been paid, I wasn't aware of uh, of that fact. Uh, there were a lot of questions even before the whole uh, coronavirus situation. There were a lot of questions around this Media Pro deal and whether uh, they would provide a reliable service and uh, the clubs could count on them. Uh, uh, and I didn't follow all the details at the time. But I do want to ask that again now is that can we trust uh, them to go through with this deal in, in August or in September, whenever the next season starts, um, considering that, you know, they're probably also hit in some ways by the current economic crisis. Um, and they were somewhat playing catch up with all the deadlines and, and expectations that, uh, you know, they were supposed to comply to in order to be ready to broadcast Liga next season. The only way, Pierre-Paul, that you can trust MediaPro right now is blindly. Okay, that's not good. <laughs> and this is a really dangerous yeah. next part of the story, which Kale is already working on. <laughs> <laughs> but six months before, MediaPro and the LFP announced this deal, which, can I say, on paper, is an unbelievable deal for Ligan. It takes it to having the second largest TV domestic rights deal in the world of football, full stop, for a domestic league competition, only behind the Premier League. Wow. Six months before this deal was announced, MediaPro had been negotiating the exact same deal with our Italian friends in Syria. That deal fell through because the Syria board decided that MediaPro did not have sufficient bank guarantees in order for them to feel like they could faithfully sign off on this deal. I spoke with Bob Ratcliffe, the Ojasini CEO, a couple of weeks ago. Guys, make sure you check that out, President's Podcast. It is long, but we will have a bit more time on our hands, so I do recommend it. 
he said his understanding is that the LFP never asked for any bank guarantees whatsoever from the corporate. Now that is like running a business, wearing a blindfold, and being pass out drunk. In addition so, to which, MediaPro are tabling on, uh, you know, a large number of subscribers at a rate of twenty five euros a month when they have nothing else on offer apart from Ligue 1. And I know that a lot of people are not really excited about, about that. Well, absolutely. Uh, it's, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, so we haven't even got to, there's two huge problems yeah. with this, basically. One is, this is a company that says it has an enormous amount of money for French football. I think we can all agree, based on French football's current output, putting it as the second most valuable a league from a financial perspective, even if actually the way it's worked out is that because of the length of certain other national deals, you know, there some other deals are coming to an end soon. And I'm sure when those new deals are signed, notably for La Liga and Syria will be jumped up on again in terms of those deals will be bigger than what the media pro deal is supposed to be. But one, we're in an incredibly precarious financial position where uh, Liga and Ligue 2 clubs decided to sign away 250 uh, million or so in TV rights money, just accept that they weren't going to get it by not playing these final 10 games. We also have a broadcaster who just has not provided any guarantees that they're going to bring that money. Number one, in terms of we are looking at, if this goes wrong, we're looking at genuine financial extinction of not one or two clubs, but you know, from what people from from what people have said on this side, we're looking at maybe close to half being in that position of not being able to survive if the money isn't there. The second thing to say is, as you rightfully bring up, Pierre Paul, the consumer. And mm. I feel like, in a way, this deal very much mirrors what you're seeing in the more general entertainment streaming market, right? Where you know, you've got your Disney Plus now, you've got your Amazon Prime Video now, you've got your HBO now, uh, you've got your Netflix now. This increasing sort of layering on of uh, more and more subscriptions per month, eventually people are just going to have had enough. And media pros, you say, have no, has nothing else to offer apart from Ligue 1 and, a, and some Ligue 2 football next season. And if you're a French football fan in France next season, you are going to need access to Eurosport whatever Media Pro are going to call their channel, Canal Plus, RMC, and Sport. if you want to see the French Cup competitions, the Champions League, the Premier League, Ligue 1, Ligue 2. And I haven't done the maths on that yet, mainly because not everybody in terms of those broadcasters have announced their prices going into the next season. But that's not sustainable. And the big loser at the end of the day is French football. We're just going to lose eyeballs. And it's kind of that additional shock factor on the end of, my God, they've like agreed to cancel this deal. Piss off Canal Plus, who has been the biggest money maker for French football in the last 20 years. Uh, put Canal Plus in a precarious position in terms of, you know, their sports channels are going to be in an enormous uh, financial downturn over the course of these last six months. When Canal Plus was the broadcaster that MediaPro had hoped would buy the rights off them, Media Pro has no experience as a broadcaster of having their own platform and bringing the content to fans. 
historically in the last 10 years, they have bought rights and then resold them at a higher price. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, frankly, how you could put yourself in a worse position. I do think the way they so blindly trust that, as you say, and and everybody, because even last summer clubs were spending more money. I remember they were saying we can spend more money because we know there's a big deal coming in next year, which yeah. already at the time sounded a little bit irresponsible. I think it's a perfect illustration of everything that's going on right now and how French football clubs are handled because it's just all over the place, really. Um, I, I've I mean, become... Sorry, something to get into too uh, that makes sense that crosses over is that the increase that this is going to provide next season, which the 60%, I mean, the majority of that is going to be taken up by simply trying to cover the gaps that they've created this year. Mm -hmm. um, shall we look at a couple of questions from Twitter here? We have Les Aiglons USA who ask us, how much does the fact that every top five league in Europe is restarting, uh, but not Ligue 1. How is that going to affect Ligue 1's mixed reputation and standing in European football? Uh, I think we've kind of covered that, and it's not good. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, maybe, maybe we haven't covered the really basic point that is like Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon are really going to struggle when the Champions League comes back, <laughs> obviously, because everybody else will have played you know, 10 league games over June, July, and Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon, by the looks of it, will have played three or four friendly matches in July, and then all of a sudden they have to go into the round of 16 or quarterfinals of the Champions League. Uh, so, I mean, that, that said, yeah. if the other teams, if the other countries are playing, you know, matches every three or four days and Lyon aren't, it, it could also be an advantage. I mean, it's really hard to establish where exactly the balance is on, on that, on kind of between fatigue and, and, and match readiness. But, I think that's, yeah, I definitely think that's fair, uh, Pierre-Paul. I think it depends on the professionalism of each of the dressing rooms during this period of quarantine. Possibly, yeah. I will say that there is an agent I spoke to yesterday who will remain unnamed, who said, between you and me, the players are absolutely loving this. This is the longest holiday they've ever got, and everyone's <laughs> going to be five kilos heavier when they get back to preseason. So, oh you know, we, and and I think, I think that's a fair point about oh, every three days, you know, are these teams maybe going to enter into August with a lot of injuries? I think that's, that's, that's a really interesting one to consider. But you know, the Bundesliga returning, we've seen an enormous amount of injuries immediately upon return. So the concern, obviously, is that might the same thing happen to Lyon and Paris Saint-Germain just in the middle of a quarterfinal or in the middle of the second leg of the round of 16. And, you know, thankfully, France is blessed with actually some quite impressive fitness coaches and both Lyon and Paris Saint-Germain are not excluded from that category in terms of retaining those. But I think that just from a pure rhythm perspective, it's a difficult case to make that actually Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon are advantaged by not playing. I think Olas even came out initially and said he thought they'd be massacred. So maybe he's being hyperbolic, but... I think there's probably something to that. Mm, this brings nicely to the next question from Shreyas, who asks us, what about PSG situation if the Champions League is restarted? Will they be allowed to compete? Now, presumably he means allowed by the government. Um, but PSG did say that they would be willing to play all the matches outside of France 
if it meant they could play on in the Champions League. Uh, is there yeah, but, anything? But, yeah, but also very simply, as was already stated on the 28th of April, games will be able to be played behind closed doors in August. So, right. and that's currently, uh, my understanding is that's currently when UEFA intend to play the 2019-20 Champions League clashes. Uh, I think it's like the first few days of of um, of, of August. Of August, yeah. But it might be possible that they play all the matches in one city. You know, they were considering that at, at some point. I think. I think that's still certainly on the table. Um, okay. But the point is, even if there is a scenario where you have to play in France, they will be able to. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, and yeah, just another reminder again that Lyon is still in the Champions League. Um, which feels <laughs> still feels incredible, and not just because of they beat Juventus, but even that they made it that far. I thought, but anyways, <laughs> um, I I think that's all I have for you guys, uh, really, at this point. I don't know if um, what do you mean, Pierre Paul? I'm ready to go another three hours. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> I I could not do that. You see, your match fitness is much is way higher than mine, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, my podcasting match fitness. I don't know where it's come from. It's probably this president's, president's podcast. I'm telling you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, you really should add that to your diet. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, I've completely um, lost my habits here. You know, I remembered about an hour before the show. Oh, I could be asking on Twitter if anybody wants to give us any questions <laughs> and other things like that. Yeah. I think this thing's going to keep it's got legs, you know what I mean? So I don't think this is the end of this yeah. whole escapade. So that's all we know uh, for the minute. Obviously it's an evolving situation. Uh, in the words of Kale, it's, it's uh, how did you say it? It was running on its legs? No. It's got legs. It's got legs, <laughs> yes. And it's going places. Uh, so there will be updates. Uh, I, I seem to understand that Kale will have a follow-up on his French football forest piece. So make sure you check that one out first and keep an eye open for the next one, which, uh, you know, could be coming pretty soon according to how fast things do change. Uh, thank you both very much for joining me and explaining some of these things to me and to the listeners, of course, as well. Uh, what a crazy situation, really. Um, so just thank you, Christian. Oh, Pierre Paul, it's a, it's a pleasure. And um, it's important stuff. Like, this really might impact the, 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 the future of French football for, for potentially decades to come if we look back on this huge TV rights deal as having come mm. at such a sort of pivotal moment and French football chose to drop the ball. So a pleasure, a pleasure doing this. And, and thanks for your great questions as well. Great to have you on always. And, and thank you as well, Kale, for joining us after long hours of work on, on that first piece already. Well, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. It was great talking to you guys. And yeah, hopefully we can do it again soon. Seems like there's going to be enough info coming through that we'll be able to. Yep, absolutely. As always, you can follow us on, on Twitter at GFFN or get the latest news on getfootballnewsfrance.com. Um, and we'll be coming back shortly. There's more projects, obviously. President's podcasts have come out. There's player podcasts in the work as well. So stay tuned, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. <laughs>